Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Riley Dane, Director of Age of the Entrepreneur. And if you want to learn how to connect with the top 1% of your industry, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chapel. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another awesome episode here on the Built Network Podcast. Today, I am talking with a good buddy of mine now. Uh, we actually had not previously met up until a couple of months ago, but I had been watching his work here for the last, really since I started the show, because he ended up interviewing multiple people that I was interviewing, and I just saw a lot of his stuff coming across my newsfeed all the time, it seemed. And so we're finally able to connect, but when we, when we sat down to start talking, it was like we knew each other for a really long time. So we just have a lot in common and uh, a lot of the same value systems and different strategies in life that we've both used to advance in our careers. And this guy is somebody that I think you're going to end up seeing a lot more of here in my community and on the show and different things like that, just because he's somebody that I really resonated with. But his name is Riley Dane. Riley is a Canadian entrepreneur and filmmaker, best known for creating The Abundance Factor and his latest film, Age of the Entrepreneur, where he literally interviewed some of the world's top entrepreneurs that are out there, even a few people people that I have not had on the show. So I know how much legwork it was for me to get all of the guests that I've had on my show. And so I, I know how much went into creating this film. And some of my interviews are done on Zoom virtually from my computer desk at my uh, home office. This guy, when he booked an interview, would take an entire film crew out to go film that person where they were. And so the amount of work that this guy put into producing the stuff that he does is is incredible. And he's on a mission. It's his, it's his goal. It's his mission to impact 10 million people with positive and inspiring films. And uh, I, I have no doubt that he's going to get to that point. So we talk a lot. We cover, honestly, a range of things in this, in, in this episode. We just got along really well. And uh, I think that you guys will find that to be true. But a few things that we talk about is, uh, first of all, how to connect with successful people. And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know, there's something that I'm really big on that I teach a lot on, but it was really great to hear his perspective on it. And a couple of tips that I don't even really teach on that he brought up and they were really good points. So how to connect with successful people, how he became successful in a super saturated industry, like the film industry. And then uh, we talk about the people that you should never take advice from. So, so much great stuff in this episode, just like all the other episodes that, that we've been putting out recently. But first, really quick, before we get into that, if you love to go to events, 
If you love to connect with other people, if you love to build real relationships, not just gather contact information, then you are going to want to go to Build Your Network Live 2019. It's going to be here in Las Vegas. We rented out the entire first floor of Top Golf just to have a unique venue. Um, the first full day is for VIPs only. It's at an undisclosed private location here in Vegas, complete with uh, different networking activities, collaborative activities, things to do that are going to build real experiences and memories, which ultimately lead to real relationships and not just having somebody else's card or something like that. So you are definitely going to want to head over to buildyournetworklive.com to grab a ticket, grab a spot and uh, come out for it. And I would love to spend some time hanging out with you here in Vegas in person. So buildyournetworklive.com and I will see you out here in Vegas in November. And now let's get into my chat with Riley Dane. Riley, what is up, my man? Thanks so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Yeah, man. I'm excited to be here. Of course. So look, there's so many things we're talking a little bit before we hit the record button on some of the things that we can chat about in this uh, episode, but we will definitely get to all of that. But first off, I want to build a little bit of context here, let the audience know who you are, what you're up to. So let's start with, we're going to take it all the way back to the beginning and uh, tell me what it was like growing up as Riley Dane in let's say middle school time period, 12, 13, 14 years old, like likes, dislikes, interests, were you into school, sports? What, what was life like for you? Yeah, that's an interesting question, man. So I grew up in a really small town in Canada called Armstrong that has a population of about 5,000. So it's, it's the place, you know, where every single person knows everyone. I believe we actually have more cows than people here. Uh, <laughs> The nickname for it was Farmstrong. So you were always a farm kid or you worked at the mill kind of. Yeah, but like a very quiet life. But my dad was an entrepreneur and his dad was an entrepreneur and his dad. So he was kind of, you know, coming off the back of the late 90s and kind of the the internet startup phase and he had built a company. So he always worked from home and worked from a computer um, even though the computers back then, the monitors were like, as you know, like three feet deep. Like yeah, the size of the whole office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then like the screen was like 10 inches across. Um, but that's how he kind of built his company. And so I, I really observed him. And I think even on a subconscious level, a lot of what he was doing was kind of seeping into me. But I would say that my main interest was always kind of a mixture between marketing and this obsession with movies that I had since I was little. It's cool that I've been able to kind of figure out how to merge those now. Yeah, that's awesome. Were you one of those kids that always had like a video camera in your hands? Like, like were you making videos when you were 8, 9, 10, 11 years old? Yeah. So what's really cool is I was so incredibly fortunate. In elementary school, in the fifth grade, my teacher was like, oh, I see that you're really into movies and we're trying to figure out like some cool thing that you can do like for extracurricular activity. So we just went and we bought a little like Sony Handycam and they had purchased the, I think it was the Macintosh 2. And they're like, so you it's a can- a nice piece of hardware right there. <laughs> yeah, back in the day, man, that was top notch. <laughs> yeah, so they, they basically, they gave me a computer to edit with, with like the original like iMovie and a camera. Hmm. And for an hour a day, I got to leave class all through elementary school and wow. just shoot movies and make movies. And it's one of those things where it's like a lot of people, they have these passions or ideas, but no one's ever there to help them with that passion or guide them. I was incredibly fortunate because from a young age, I had people supporting me and giving me opportunities and access to technology and software that a lot of people would never have had access to. And certainly if the school had not given it to me, my parents would not have been able to afford that. So I was definitely always had a camera in my hand, always making movies, and I still keep a stack of old VHS tapes. I was going to ask, I was going to ask, where do those movies live now? Still VHS tapes or you have some on your computer or what? This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. 
You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is. The fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, still VHS, but what's funny is I, I want to go in and get them digitized so I can put uh, some of them up like bonus content. Oh, yeah. Um, for my- because I, I think people would get a kick out of seeing what I was up to. So funny that you say that, man, because when I was a kid, me and my friends were kind of the same way. And it seemed like one of us always had a video camera. And uh, even in high school and stuff, we would just, even in college, <laughs> we would just go film just stupid things. Like we're just, whatever ideas popped into our head, we just wanted to film it and make a short video about it or whatever. So yeah, no, I totally, totally understand that kind of obsession that you had, but you decided to go that totally different route. And what's really cool about that story, bro, is that you actually were able to take something that was a passion of yours from the beginning and end up pursuing that into obviously your career. So this was elementary school you're talking about. When you get into like high school, going into college or university, what did it look like for you in terms of of like, were you considering traditional paths at that point? Or was it just like, nope, one track minded, I'm doing video, no doubt. No, you touched on it right there. It would definitely, I decided I was going to go the traditional route. By the time I got to high school, those dreams of movie making were still kind of with me. But um, here in Canada, we have something called a personal planning teacher in high school. And their goal is to kind of like help you build out your path for what you're going to do after graduation. Are you know, are you going to university? You know, what, what's your plan? And so I had kind of told my personal planning teacher that I wanted to go to film school and make movies. And she basically just ended up kind of laughing and saying like, don't, please don't do that. Like, you're never going to make any money. Like, that's fine that it's a hobby, but like, that's not a real career. So I actually, I dropped out of drama that year in my final year in high school in the 12th grade. And I decided I was going to just focus on business and marketing. And Mm -hmm. so after graduation, I got a job uh, consulting as kind of an internet marketing consultant for a big kind of... uh, venture capital firm. And that's what I did until I was around 23. And so, you know, like it was a skill set that I had and I was making decent money, but I knew that it was not the end of my passion. It wasn't a hundred percent what I wanted to do. So I ended up kind of taking a leap of faith, quitting that job and flying to LA. Um, One of the first times I had ever left my little hometown of Canada and I went to film school in Los Angeles and I kind of pursued that. And then when I graduated film school, then that's really when the idea for my current movies came about where it was like, okay, you and a million other kids graduated and have a film degree. No one cares. You and a bunch of other people know how to make eBooks and sell shit online, right? No one cares. what are you going to go out and do in the world differently? And that's kind of, um, I think, the kernel of the idea for what I ended up doing. Yeah. So first off, what was it like sitting in your career counselor's office and getting the devastating news that what you wanted to do wasn't going to work out, even though it ended up working out, obviously, hindsight being twenty twenty. But at the time, was that just, just the wind out of your sails? Like, well, shoot, now what do I do? Yeah, I was completely crushed, I would say, to be honest. It was it was one of those things where as somebody's talking and saying like, that's not a real career, you're never going to make money doing that, you start to feel almost embarrassed that you thought you could ever do it. Hmm. So it was kind of this sense of like embarrassment and, and like, obviously, she's in a position of power and you, you of course, assume that your teacher knows more than you. So it was very much like, yeah, like, I guess they're right. It doesn't make sense. I should be reasonable. I should focus on the reasonable path. So it was a mixture of a lot of things, but definitely a lot of disappointment and a mixture, I think, of embarrassment for thinking that I had the audacity to be able to do something like that. 
Yeah. What would you say to not necessarily that particular person, but to like, if somebody's listening to this right now and they have influence over teenagers or kids and they're, you know, teaching or some sort of education, or maybe just a parent that's listening, what do you think that they can do or we can do better? I should say we now, cause I have a three month old myself. So when it comes to that point in his life, like what can we do better to foster the creativity and the passions while also, cause uh, you know, obviously it's done out of position of love. It's not like it's, it's not like they're looking in your future and going like, I don't want him to do what he loves doing. It's like, no, no, no. I want him to be successful. I want him to do well. And that's not in my experience been a path that enables people to be successful. So they're always, you know, most people anywhere are doing it from a position of love, but I think it's such misguided type of counsel and advice. So what do you think that we could do better as parents, teachers, as a society to foster that type of creativity in teenagers? Yeah, I think that's a really good question and a really important question. Because like you said, I mean, I don't think my teacher was doing this to try to set me up for failure or dash my dreams. Mm-hmm. She was there to help me build a real career path. And that's what she felt was best. Of course, she grew up in an era where a little thing called the internet didn't exist. And I think <laughs> that really has changed things. Because yeah. to be honest, her advice is probably right. Had I not had the internet as a means of distribution for making movies and connecting with influencers to make them. So you know, it was a relatively recent invention that allowed me to do this. But I think overall, when people are thinking about career paths, or they're raising kids, or they're helping teenagers, I know it's cliche, but that word passion is so important. And I look at passion from a really tactile perspective, where it it was Steve Jobs that said, essentially, passion is what's going to give you the grit to get through the difficult times, right? Passion is what's there when it's really hard and you want to quit. If you're passionate about it, you're going to get up and you're going to do it one more time. So if you're just chasing, you know, a paycheck or dollar signs, of course, that's great. And you want that stuff. But when it's really hard and you were only just in it for the money, I don't think you're going to be able to have the grit that you need and the hustle that you need to be able to make it happen. So I think parents need to think and teachers need to think about, sure, maybe being an accountant is a good job, right? But still in this landscape, if you're not really passionate about being an accountant, are you going to excel in school? Are you going to go after those high paying jobs? When you failed on the first two interviews, are you going to chase the next one, right? And I think that also in this era of the internet, because there's a lot of passions that I would understand a teacher or a parent saying, you know, that's not going to make you money, right? Let's say your kid comes to you and they say, I love weaving baskets. That's just what I love doing all day. I can see how a reasonable parent goes, okay, that's not really a money-making skill. So what's your other idea? Yeah, right. (laughs) What are you going to do to pay the bills? Like still keep weaving baskets because you love doing it, but... Yes. So, I think, yeah. so I think always encourage passion, even if, if it's not the potential to make money, because your passion doesn't always have to be how you make money. But at the same time, because of the internet, there's different ways to use that, that skill set of basket weaving to monetize, right? Yeah, right. Other people that want to also learn how to weave baskets. And now you start a YouTube channel where you're just showing people different basket weaving techniques, and then you grow an audience, and then you monetize it, and then you sell you know, a course or whatever you have, or you sell artisan baskets on Instagram, right? I think the internet has allowed really almost any passion. You can either indirectly or directly monetize it because with a passion generally comes a skill set. So if you're very, very good at something, I would say nine times out of 10, you can turn that into something nowadays. Right. And best example of this would be video games to me because I grew up in where, where video games were getting super popular, you know, where, where they started moving from just Mario to like all of a sudden all these other gaming systems and all these games and development. And then the industry just totally exploded. And when I was growing up, it was always like, get out there and play some sports, do some activities, like do something. You'll, you'll never make money playing video games. Stop playing, like stop playing those video games. Right. And I was never a gamer myself, but now you look at what that's turned into and there's actual tournaments and professional like gaming teams that are being picked up by ex professional athletes with a ton of money and they just had that Fortnite tournament and that kid won like 3 million dollars for first place or something like that yeah, yeah just crazy stuff and people are just like oh i'm going live on you know periscope or twitch check out my live stream watch me play video games for 7 hours like if you would have told me that that was a possibility when i was 14 years old i would have laughed in your face <laughs> there's such a, a transition that's happening right now that does enable you to really monetize, you know, like what you were saying, like if you can get, if you get good at something, you can probably monetize it at some point, but that is your passion. And some people get lucky in terms of like, Hey, my passion is actually something that uh, matters in the real world. And I 
can create like, you know, someone like Gary Vaynerchuk is like, his passion is clearly marketing and social influence. And that happens to be something that's very, very valuable at the moment. And he became super good at it. And that's what's enabled him to become who he is now. But before his passion was wine. And that's what got him into creating the social content to begin with. And I think that that's a, a trend that people can definitely get on board with. But the big thing that I try to tell people is just be very careful on who you take advice from. And career counselors are great. And I'm not saying this as like a detriment to everybody across the board. But for the most part, you Riley, as like a student in high school, trying to figure out what you were doing with your life. And you're like, Hey, I want to do film. Your career counselor goes, No, you should do a career. And it's like, okay, look at the person you're taking advice from. And I tell people never take advice from somebody that you wouldn't want to trade places with. So if you don't see yourself following the same thing that that person did, maybe, maybe go get a second, third, fourth, or fifth opinion from somebody who is a successful filmmaker or, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to do. Like if you're 17, 18, listen to this right now and you're like, Hey, I'm getting similar advice, even though my passion is X, they're telling me to do Y because it's a safer thing. It's like, okay, well maybe go find somebody who made an entire career, successful career out of the thing that you want to do and ask them what their advice is. And then like kind of take both of those things in, into light. Would you agree with that? Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic advice. Um, luckily, I guess I'm willing to switch positions with you <laughs> if I'm willing to listen to your advice. But no, I think that's exactly correct. And again, kind of like you touched on at the beginning, I don't think anyone's really out to harm you or be malicious. They're right. giving you their best interpretation of how the world works. Exactly. But that does not mean it's the definitive version of how the world works. And especially, I, I love the idea of connecting with people that have done what you want to do and ask them because mm -hmm. certainly, you know, on my career path, that has been one of the things that has gotten me forward the fastest is reaching out to other people that are doing similar things, whether it's filmmaking or online marketing, and ask their opinions about how they did things, right? And yeah. is this, how difficult is this? What did you do? And I think it's, it's Tony Robbins idea where it's like, just if you want to do something, find someone who's done it before, ask them how they did it, and then do what they said. <laughs> and yeah. that's the that's this simple success formula. But I think there's a lot of validity to that idea. Totally. That, that's literally what my entire brand is about. Build your network. It's just about, you said this one word and that encapsulates everything that I do. And you said, you, the word you said was fastest. And that's really what I'm about is like, how can we shorten the learning curve? How can we skip levels? Not just like, how do I get to my next level? But how can we start skipping levels in terms of where you are in your career, where you want to be? And uh, I just find that the number one way to do that is networking. And the best way that I can put it into words, like the best word picture that I can paint is like, you're going to, you're at an amusement park, with your friends, right? And they want to go ride the next ride. You want to go grab something to drink. So they go onto the line and then you go over to get something to drink. It ends up taking way longer than you thought. You're waiting in line, waiting in line. Finally, 35, 40 minutes later, you run out, you're hoping that they're still in line. And then you get to the back of the line, you realize they're all the way up the front. Well, what happens at this point? You don't wait in line with everybody else. Like, they call your name and you get to skip the entire line and go all the way to the front with your group of friends because you're part of that group. So I liken this a lot to networking and I like this analogy because you also can't just like teleport to the front of the line, right? Mm -hmm. Like they don't just like say, hey, Riley, we're up here. And then you just like all of a sudden appear there, right? You still have to walk the same steps that they walked. The difference is that you are skipping past all the other people that are waiting their turn to get up to the front because those people have already walked those steps and now you can just walk the same steps just in a much, much faster way, right? So a lot of people will go get some connections and then learn what they did but they never actually implement anything. They just think the connection itself is going to pull them up to the front of the line. It's like, no, no, you still got to do the work, man. You still got to put in the effort to get there. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And I think also you, you touching on the idea there, of you have to do the work. I think your network is as powerful as you're willing to work. So the network, 100%, I agree. I mean, that I would say almost every single success I've had in my business and in my life has come from an idea or a thought that was in some way influenced by another person that I either knew personally or, you know, watching videos, watching people like Gary Vee, you know, listening to podcasts like this. At some point, information came to me that was outside of my world. And I took that information and I did something about it. So I completely agree. Your network, who you listen to, who you hang out with, that is really what's going to define you. And then what you do with that is really is going to be how your life is. Yeah, totally, man. It's not it's not your net rest, right? It's your net work. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's kind of transition here. I want to chat with you a little bit about this film that you put together recently. Can you tell us like just kind of A to Z here, starting at the beginning? First off, where'd you get the idea? How did you start executing on it? 
Like what's it called? Where can we find it? All that good stuff. Yeah. So my newest film is called Age of the Entrepreneur. And you can check it out by going to ageoftheentrepreneur.movie or aote.movie. So that's just abbreviated for Age of the Entrepreneur. And you guys, you can actually watch it for free there. But the idea was I wanted to create a film about what it takes to be an entrepreneur, but not just kind of like, you know, some lofty, like motivational film, although motivational. <laughs> that's a byproduct. Right. Yeah. But what are the steps? And I want to try to break it down into say, okay, if I have time for an hour and a half in a linear format, where does somebody need to start? So if somebody's watching this movie and they just have an idea or they don't even know where to find their idea to become an entrepreneur and start a business, if that's step one and then step, let's say 10 is launching that in a big successful way and making money and turning it into actual profit. What's the story in between there? What's the step in between there that I need to show people and tell people? And so that really is what the movie became about is me traveling. I interviewed, I think over 35, it may have been 40 of the top entrepreneurs in the world. You know, people like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, who I I believe you've had on this show. Yeah, some really cool guests. Uh, The founder of Wix, Avishai Brahami, who's a a billionaire. And Wix is obviously a publicly traded um, multi-billion dollar company. Some really incredible people that have achieved some really fascinating things. And just sitting down with them and trying to break down those steps to help the viewer say, okay, here's where I'm starting. This is the idea. And here's how we get to execution. And it was, yeah, it was a super fun project. And so far the response has been really positive. So that's exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. That's always a good thing when you work that hard on something and people actually like it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a great feeling. Let me ask you this. Did you do any pre-work to make sure that that was going to be the result? Yes. So, I mean, I think in filmmaking, and this might be true for every type of plan, but in filmmaking, there's an adage where basically your pre-production is your production, meaning what you do getting ready before you shoot is really going to define if you're going to be successful or not be successful. And in a film like this, especially where I'm managing a lot of the aspects, it is hard because not only do you need a good film that works and it's interesting, but you need a lot of different entrepreneurs to be in there. And then you need to think about, okay, when this film is done, how am I going to get this out in a big way that's successful? So you have to be kind of being very mindful of the marketing aspect and distribution and kind of navigating all of those puzzle pieces together. So you make sure that when you hit launch, it's one thing to make the best movie since Casablanca. But if two people watch it on YouTube, not that interesting. And likewise, you could make a super shitty movie for $12 and get a million people to watch it on YouTube. But again, you haven't really accomplished anything. So it's the middle ground of how can you make something amazing and how can you get a lot of people to see it? And certainly planning was a massive aspect to ensuring that that came to fruition. So was there anybody during this process that you had a conversation with that surprised you, whether good or bad, positive, negative, somebody that you sat down with and you're like, wow, I did not know that. Or wow, that's super interesting. Tell me more. Is there anybody in particular, any conversations in particular that uh, that you can think of? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I've, I certainly had a few people that I was disappointed in that I won't name names, but it's like very big entrepreneurs with very big followings and you sit down and they don't give you a lot. And I mean, I I get it. That happens from time to time. Sometimes you're not in the mood. Sometimes I'm not in the mood to do interviews and things like that. So there was a few of those where you get all the crew out there, you're spending thousands of dollars taking this big gamble, make this movie and you're just left completely disappointed. But on the positive side, there were a lot of people that gave me so much time And that was something that really stood out to me. And it seemed like the people that were possibly the most successful were the people who were asking how they could help me the most, which seemed very strange because you would think, okay, probably the people that are a little bit lower on the ladder that are a little bit closer to me are going to be the people who want to be a little more collaborative and help me more. But I was surprised to find that, you know, there were billionaires that were genuinely interested in how they could help and what they could do to support the film. Mm. And I think To me, that just spoke to an idea about them, which is people always say like the amount of kind of help or impact you create in the world is going to be a direct result to how successful you are, which is a good idea in theory. But then to see these people that are wildly successful, far more successful than me, taking an interest in someone like me and trying to help me, it really shows that I think that's just their outlook on life. A big picture idea is they're always trying to provide value. They're always trying to provide solutions because you never know 
who someone is, what will come of whatever interaction. And I wouldn't doubt that's why many of those people got to where they are yeah. is they discount anyone. They didn't take anything for granted. They assume that every person also has the ability to help them at some point. And so they really went out and helped me. So I, I thought that was really cool and a big takeaway for me. Yeah, it's just funny you say that because I found the same exact thing to be true. And I kind of refer to it on and off as the principle of skipping levels. And I find that people who are just above where you are kind of have this competitive spirit to where they'll only help you to the extent that does not hurt them, if that makes sense. Like, like they, they want to keep their social status above you. So they don't want to give you all their secrets because they're afraid that you're going to get on their level. Like I, I truly think that there's some sort of a psychological, either subconscious or conscious effort to keep somebody a little bit below them instead of helping them up to whatever level is on. But when you're talking to people like Kevin Harrington or, or a couple of the people like Tillman Fertitta or, or Jeff Hoffman that I've, that I've had on my show that are just literally billionaires in, who have helped millions of people for, through various products and services and different things like that. Like their vision is so much higher level than that, that like they, all they want to do is add value, have impact and leave a legacy. And it's so much bigger than just the nuance of like, well, I don't want to give you my marketing tip for free. It's so much, it's so much bigger than that. And their attitude in working with you is definitely something that reflects that and something that I found to be true as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Definitely. And that's actually, to be totally honest, that's something that I had to learn to overcome where I think, you know, it kind of falls into that kind of scarcity mindset where it's like when you're at a certain level, you feel like any advantage you give to someone who you perceive to be some type of competitor steals away a little piece of the pie that you could have had. So you really hold on right. to it. And I remember even growing up and not so long ago, I would get really jealous of people that I perceived as being on a similar level, but had achieved more than me. And although like you would congratulate them to their face behind their back, you know, you were kind of thinking like, oh man, damn that dude. Like I wish like, <laughs> right now and really letting go of that recently, I would say in the last couple of years for me and genuinely being excited for other people's success and genuinely yeah. trying to help people has ironically, I believe helped me in my career the most, which seems counterintuitive, but I think that it is the fastest way to actually achieve growth. Yeah, I totally agree with you, man. That there's something happened to me recently like that where um, I, I do a lot of like podcast coaching, like one on one. Let's get your podcast, you know, create, grow, launch, monetize a podcast. And uh, I, I was talking with somebody the other day, and they're like, "Hey, man, I'm, I'm thinking about going with this other guy," and basically like convinced me that I should go with you. And I was like, "Look, man, it's up to you." <laughs> I, like for the first time in my life, I found myself not being upset if somebody else went with that person. I literally was just like, he's he's a great dude and you'll probably learn a lot. So if that's who you'd rather learn from, then go learn from him. And it was not a tactic. It was not like a scarcity thing. I literally genuinely felt that in my soul. Like, hey, I don't care if that guy gets the money, if that guy gets the business, good for him. You'll probably learn something. If you vibe with him more, then that's probably a better fit anyway. And it was such a weird thing to be in. But what that does anyway, is it attracts more people into your brand if you have that attitude in the end, you know what I mean? So uh, it's just like this, this concept that a lot of people can't wrap their mind around. But I think the more we're in this connected age, I think the more people are going to start realize that it is about collaboration rather than competition. And this is coming from somebody that, that used to knock on doors for a living, like door-to-door -door sales for years and years. So I know what it's like to be ultra competitive and to like go for the sale and get the clothes. Like I, I get all of that. And some salespeople would probably fault me for treating it as lackadaisically as I did. But I just truly believe exactly what you were saying. If you have that abundance mentality, you're going to attract more opportunities in the long run anyway. And if you have that collaboration mindset and you help other people, then um, you're just putting out more and more good into the universe, which is only going to come back on you even better. 100%, man. I could not have summed that up better myself. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. So coming into this project, you wanted to interview some of the top people that were in the business space. Tell me about going into this project in terms of, did you have a ton of existing prior connections? 
what was your way to get into some of these people's offices and to book some of these meetings with these high level, high net worth individuals where you weren't just asking for 20 minutes of their time on a quick Skype call. You were literally asking for a long period of time. Let me fly my entire video crew out and we're going to get some really great stuff. Talk to me about some of that process. This is the Build Your Network podcast. We talk a lot about networking, connecting with the top 1%. And that is exactly what you did to make this, this project happen. So let's hear, let's hear some, of those, uh, some of those secrets. Yeah, for sure. Um, what was interesting is that I had done a film prior called The Abundance Factor, in which I had spoken with a lot of kind of personal growth people. So like people like Bob Proctor and T. Harv Eker, and a lot of people that are in kind of the mindset personal growth space. And what I found was that when I went to make this film, the group of people I was approaching was so different that even when I reached out to my prior kind of network, a lot of them didn't know any of the people I was trying to reach out to. So in many ways in this project, I was essentially starting from scratch and it was back to cold emails and a lot of just cold outreach. So Love it. I would say, yeah, there, there were a few where I had a friend of a friend that knew someone that could reach out and a little Skype message here or a text there. But I would say maybe that was 10%. So those ones, obviously, if you have a warm connection in some way, those are going to be easier. 100%. But if you are starting out cold like I was, you really have to put a lot into your strategy in terms of how you're going to get these people's attention. And I think for me, it came down to a few things. Well, first of all, let me say, I still received a lot of no's and or a lot of non-responses. And so the people you see, although all of them are big names, there were a lot of other big names I reached out to and did not hear back from. But obviously, I still was able to get you know 30 very big names in the space. So it all worked in the end. But I think, first of all, get comfortable with hearing no, because you're going to just get that a lot. And it's part of the game. And <laughs> don't worry about it. But I think, yeah, when you're, when you're crafting an approach to reach out to somebody, especially somebody that you don't know at all, that's quite famous. There's a couple really important things. And I'm sure these are things you talk about on this podcast a lot. But one is coming with a purpose that is greater than yourself. And that to me is the biggest of all things that is what makes or breaks anything. Because right, let's say that I happen to be Oprah Winfrey's assistant, and I'm tasked with reaching out to people and asking them to be on the Oprah Winfrey show. She has such a large purpose and such a huge, big audience and so many things going for her that my emails can completely suck. I can say, hey, Elon Musk, Oprah's really interested in having you on the show. You want to do it? And that can be the email and they're going to say yes. But they're saying yes, not because I've crafted some amazing email, all these fancy words in it and all this amazing psychology. It's because they're agreeing to the project. So I'm kind of a, a big believer in the email is you still put work and thought into the email, but certainly the email has to convey the project and the project of whatever you're reaching out. Why are you reaching out? The purpose behind reaching out is really, in my experience, what gets you a yes or a no. So I think when you have something with a big purpose that can bring a lot of value to these people, that's when you're going to start to see yeses. So if I had said, hey, I'm doing this movie, but it's just kind of for my own personal viewing pleasure, um, I might show it to a few friends, uh, do you mind if I fly out and film? I guarantee you I would get 30 no's, right, out of 30 people. But when I say hey, I'm doing this film. This is the distribution strategy. This is how many views I received on the last film. This is kind of our three-part strategy for how we're getting the movie out there between film festivals, online distribution. Also, we've partnered with a few sponsors that have agreed to come on and they're also bringing some sponsorship dollars in terms of helping to get the movie out. And this is really my mission and vision for this film and how I want to impact the world. Is that interesting to you? All of a sudden, that's a really interesting offer because I'm not just selfishly trying to steal their time. I'm taking their time for an hour so that I can amplify it for the next few years and get it out to the world for them. And it is very similar to what you do on a podcast. Hmm. If it was just, hey, Riley, do you mind if we just chat for 45 minutes just because I want to pick your brain? Maybe yeah. we sit and talk, maybe we don't. I know you probably get a lot of those emails. I get a lot of those emails. And it's one thing when somebody just personally wants your time. And another thing when they want your time for a bigger purpose. So I think the purpose, the mission behind how you're reaching out is really the most important thing that you can focus on. 
Yeah, I absolutely love that, man. Such a great tip. And uh, one of the things that I do in my trainings is tell people never, ever, ever reach out and ask somebody if you can pick their brain <laughs> because I've never met anybody who responds positively to that message. I've never met anybody who's been like, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, I, I tell people build a meaningful request is kind of the way that I say it. But I love what you're saying there is like, hey, get them involved in the project. Get them on your side for this this big project that you're working on. And that's uh, getting them involved in the mission is definitely there's there's a lot to that. I have a couple of friends of mine that runs like high level concierge services and work with a lot of A list type celebrities and people like that. And one of the biggest ways that they say that they get some of those meetings with those people is through their favorite charities, yeah. which is exactly that getting them on board for a mission, saying, Hey, if we can get this X, Y, and Z to happen and we can get some of your time, we'll donate X amount of money to like the charity of your choice because that gives them that feeling of impact. It, it gives them that mission that they're trying to, you know, accomplish, and you can help with that. Now you've you figured out a way to add some value to that individual that they're willing to trade a little bit of their time for. So yeah, such great advice there, my man. Uh, is there anything practically in terms of let's talk gatekeepers for a second? Did you talk to any gatekeepers that were like trying not to let you in? And then you tried a tactic or something that ended up getting you in the back door somehow? For sure. Definitely one of the interesting things that I won't say who this was, but they, when they forwarded the email eventually back to me, it had actually, I saw the whole email chain through going through the entire company and different people having a look at it and commenting. So I got to see the path all the way back from the first email I sent to the first gatekeeper as it went through all these departments, eventually made its way to the top guy and then came back to me. And then what was cool is I had kind of a behind the scenes view of what they were perceiving as pros and cons and why the email was making it through. And what they said was, one of the last emails was, this looks like an interesting opportunity and there are a lot of other big names attached. Mm. Uh, have a look at this. And of course, I mean, that's not rocket science, but certainly once you have a few other people that are on board with whatever you're doing, right? We all know the power of social proof, but I think that does a lot of the groundwork for you. It's like, okay, well, if, you know, if Dave Asprey already said yes to this, chances are their team took a look at it and it all checks out. So it's like, I think people just kind of instinctively, if you have other people that have are a part of your project or have done, say, your podcast before, when you reach out and say, hey, we've had Kevin Harrington and all these cool people on, without even saying, well, how many listeners do you get? What is this? A lot of that work is done because you've already proven that you can connect with these other people. So they go, okay, if it was good enough for them, it's probably good enough for me. So I would say anytime you can include social proof without being like braggy or gross about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. Which you don't want to do that. But if you can include social proof of who else is involved with it, whatever you're doing. So if you have a podcast, who else has been on the show? If you're doing a movie like myself, maybe who are the executive producers? Who else has, have you already filmed for it? Do you have any sponsors, brands that are trusting you with their money and include them? Because the more that you show that other people are with you, are included in whatever you're doing, the easier it's going to be for them to want to fit into that group. Whereas if you're reaching out and saying, I have no sponsors, no one else has said, yes, this is the idea. Do you want to do it? You're creating an uphill battle for yourself. So social proof, massive, massive key, even though I know it's been repeated a thousand times, I'll repeat it for a thousand and one times. <laughs> yeah, because it's so important. It's insanely crucial. And you just got to get that first one. You know what I mean? Like you just got to get the person and that's where what you said earlier about getting used to hearing the word no. And this is going to apply so much more at the beginning of the process because when you're first starting, you have zero people. But if you hustle through enough no's and you finally get one person to say yes, to believe into your and buy into your mission, and then you just leverage that to continue to get other people to say yes. By the time you're done with those 30 people, like those last 10 people are so much easier to get a yes from than those first five people were. But it's going to start compounding and building on itself the more credibility that you build in your brand. I 100% agree with you there, my man. Like that's such like that is literally the way that I've built my guest list on the show is now it's almost a no brainer for people when I send them the list of people that I've had on my show, because I'll literally go to their Instagram account, look at all the people that they follow that I've had on and then send them the whole list. And by the time they get through name number 13, it's just like, well, how have I not heard of this guy before? Yes, of course, I'll do your podcast. Like no questions asked. There's no extra additional research that needs to go into it because all their friends, they assume already did all the research that they needed to do. And so they just kind of say, yeah, sure, man, if, if so and so and so 
so-and-so and so-and-so is on board, then, then I'm on board. Let's do it. So yeah, yeah such, such great advice. So we're running out of time a little bit, but I have to ask this question because it's the question I ask every single guest that comes on the show. Who you know or what you know, Riley, which one is more important and why? Oh man, that's a tricky one because I suppose who you know greatly influences what you know. So in the end, um, I guess they're, they're both very powerful things, but I guess it has to be for me what you know because you can know a lot of people, but if you never take the knowledge that they give you and turn it into what you know, you're essentially you're wasting all of your opportunities. So I guess it comes down to, to what you know. What you know, there you go. So going on that same line of thought then, is there anything that you've done in particular that you would say, like putting aside, putting together these amazing films, like putting, putting that all aside, is there anything that you have done in particular that has put you in rooms with people where you're like, man, I shouldn't even be here? <laughs> And that's like every time I'm in a room, man, I can be at like, <laughs> man, I don't know the quality of this room here. <laughs> yeah. no, for, for sure. Um, I think actually one very quick idea circling back to our last thread there was that oftentimes the people that say no at the beginning, um, when you circle around at the end, after you've got a few of people, they know those no's turn into yeses. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that's a lesson in persistence. Cause I would say maybe the top five people that I got were originally no's. But then I circled back eight months later once I built the roster and I ended up getting yeses from them. So I think that's important as well. But certainly there's a few things that I think get you into rooms that you probably maybe don't belong in. (laughs) And for me, I think you have to learn to become a person of value. And that sounds kind of a little tacky, but (laughs) the idea is, it's not that you have to know a lot and be, oh, have you talked to Riley? He's so smart. You don't need any of that. To me, you know, I've met a lot of people that are a lot more successful than me, but they're not fun to be around, right? They don't, yeah. they don't listen when you're talking. They don't know how to you know, sit back and be chill and do this. And I go to a lot of masterminds, really high-end masterminds you know, that can cost from like 10 to 20 grand. And I, what I've seen, the phenomenon that I've observed is that there are a lot of people that are sometimes more successful than the people that are in the mastermind, but they're not fun to hang out with. You know, they're not fun when we're not talking about business and we want to just go, you know, kick it and go grab a beer at the bar. They're not interesting to be around. They're not fun. Um, they're not willing to listen to when you're talking and they end up kind of not getting invited. So I think more than the focusing on the quote value that you bring from an intelligence standpoint or how much money you have or how many connections you have, focus on just being a good dude or a good girl, right? Like focus on being a good person and be personable, listen to other people, be interested in what they're saying. And oftentimes that will get you a lot farther than trying to be someone who's the, the master connector, like, oh, well, let me provide, because I've seen people do that and that there's nothing worse how can I provide value to you? And it's like, <laughs> like, I don't know, dude. Like, I, I don't, I Thanks don't for know. the homework boss. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they'll be like, well, um, here, let me, let me go make you a connection right now. Um, and like, then they bring you over and now you're talking to someone you don't want to talk to. Like that stuff sucks. Like that's not yeah, fun. Yeah. So that person read that in a book somewhere, like always provide value. And that was their interpretation of it. But for me, I've had the opposite experience where you're going to get way further ahead by just being a, a good person, listening, being polite and being fun to be around than you are by reading some information in a book and thinking that you have to be always connecting and always dropping knowledge. That's no fun. Yeah, man. I I think you hit the nail on the head with that. It's a good place to head into the last segment here because that is what I teach. Everybody separates networking and relationship building. Like they're two separate activities. Like, Hey, when I go to the bar with my buddies, that's just like having fun with my friends and building for like deepening those relationships. But when I'm at a networking event, it's like they're this completely different person that is not even like a version of themselves. Like they become this weird, extroverted, awkward, like you said, how can I add value to you? Here's my business card. Let's do business together type person. When the entire goal of quote unquote networking is just to build real relationships. So stop focusing so much on like becoming a different person and start focusing on just being a real person that has real value that it's just fun to be around. And if you like when you'll start noticing people will take notice of that. If you're just somebody that's fun to be around and somebody that people in general get along with, then you'll start attracting more and more people into your circles. Whereas the other person is just going to piss bunch of people off and only attract that same type of person in their circle, which is a circle that I don't want to be in. <laughs> no, I couldn't agree more, man. So let's go ahead and move on here to the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions and quick random answers. You ready? I'm ready, man. 
what profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Ooh, I love music. I know this is another crazy dream. Hey, instead of being a filmmaker, why don't I be a musician? But if that counts as a profession, um, totally counts. Then, then a musician for sure. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Who? I think I'm going to go Steve Jobs because he was very interesting where I feel like I don't have the, the intellectual prowess of someone like a Steve Wozniak, right? I'm not going to be the guy that builds the hardware, the technology that changes the world, but I could more likely be the communicator of how that idea can impact the world. So I think he did an extraordinary job. I think the smartest thing he ever did was finding someone smarter than him to be able to build the stuff that was going to change the world. And then he was the voice that went out and said, this is how we're changing the world. So because I kind of see a little tiny sprinkle of myself in that idea, I would love to be able to grow that. And I think he's probably the best in the world, was the best in the world at being able to do that. Yeah, amazing. How do you like to consume content, books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Oh, man. So I'm a big audio guy, ironically. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> but every night without fail, since probably the time I was 16, I listened to a podcast or an audiobook for an hour before bed. Because obviously, I'm not a commuter, right? I work from home. And so a lot of people, they listen to, you know, audiobooks, stuff like that when they're driving, which is great. So if you've got a job, I love doing that. But for me, it's like I'm always editing or doing things and I don't have time to be listening or watching anything else. Mm -hmm. So I like just always blocking an hour off before bed, plugging in some headphones. And for an hour, I will always listen to a podcast or an audiobook. It depends on the day. But every single day, big audio, that's my jam. So give me one podcast and one audiobook that you frequently tune into or an audiobook that you have listened to recently. Yeah. So actually right now, which is unusual for me, I'm listening to an autobiography. Normally I only listen to like, I'm a big like Malcolm Gladwell fan, things like that, which are okay. a little bit more the nerdy side of the brain. But I'm listening to an autobiography about George Lucas, who is the, the creator of Star Wars. Yeah. And I have completely changed my opinion on him. And I think he's potentially the most impactful filmmaker and genius that has ever graced kind of the cinematic landscape because... I won't bore you with a big, long story about George Lucas, but what's interesting is how he was very entrepreneurial-minded, mm -hmm. and he acquired all of the rights to the, the toy licensing behind Star Wars, which ended up making more money than the films. He ended up building his own film studio, uh, Lucasfilms, so that he could control, and he used all the money that he made off the toys from the first movie to make the sequels, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So he owned them 100%, and then he's got to shop his finished film out to studios for only distribution, but he was able to control everything. I mean, the guy also, he built Pixar, which Steve Jobs later came into. Amazing guy. And just, I like every once in a while, after I listen to something like that, thinking if I was that person, how would I think and how would I approach things? Because I'm always approaching life as Riley Dane. So I think like Riley Dane and I have Riley Dane's limitations. But for a second, you know, for an hour after I listened to George Lucas's autobiography, let me think like George Lucas and what would he do in this situation? And I find that you oftentimes think a lot more creatively or a lot more outside the box because you're not limited by what you think you're capable of. And all of a sudden, good ideas start to come. Yeah, that's so awesome. Uh, what's the name of the audiobook? Oh, man, uh, I'll see if I can pull up on my Audible app. It might just be called like George... Lucas <laughs> autobiography. Um, yeah, I'm super interested in that, man. I, I mean, I'm a, a huge Star Wars geek, been like that for a really long time. So, uh, and then, yeah, that'd be awesome to, to listen to that one for sure. It's called George Lucas, A Life and Something that I can't read because it's cut off. That's yeah. enough. That's enough to be able to find it and link in the show notes and all that good yeah. stuff too. So, and actually, yeah, there's actually a really cool podcast that's actually a little bit more fun to listen to. It's shorter, um, called Blockbuster. That's also, it's the story of George Lucas and Steven Spielberg as they were building Star Wars and Jaws kind of simultaneously. 100% check that out. That one was a really cool one recently. I think I answered your question somewhere in there. Yeah, two great recommendations that we've never had on the show. So awesome work, man. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Yeah, morning routine is more often than not, I'm ashamed to say this, I'll wake up and I'll check text messages, which a lot of people that are far more successful than me tell me not to do, which I do. <laughs> I'm just so prone to trying to know what fires I have to put out ahead of the day yeah, <laughs> that I want to know immediately what's going on. But that's actually a bad habit I'm trying to break. So I'm not encouraging anyone to do that. I'm just being honest in what I do. And then I take a shower. And in the shower, anytime that I can, I try to 
think of as many things that I'm grateful for because I find that by the time I'm out of the shower and I'm ready to start my day, you know, I'm back to emails, I'm back to doing things and kind of that personal me time fades away, especially if there's a big problem, right? Like, oh, the website crashed, this link is down, this partner's trying to promote, but this thing that I don't have time to do no meditations or gratitudes, right? Like right. I got in there and be working. So I find the only time that I know I'm distraction free is when I'm in the shower for 10 to 15 minutes. And so I, I take the time to every single day, think of at least three things that I'm grateful for. I try to pick three things that have happened in the last 24 hours. And it can be little things like this morning, I was thinking of three things I was grateful for from the day prior. And my brother and I went and played basketball for an hour, which is something I hadn't done in like a decade. So it can just be little things that are that just bring you joy. And I try to remember that to set myself up in that kind of mindset of gratitude as I move throughout the day. And then most days, I also try to do a visualization of how I want to see my life in three years from today. What does that life look like? What does it feel like? What's an average day like? And just again, to kind of recenter, what am I doing today? What is the long-term effect, right? When I'm answering this email, when I'm doing this podcast, why? What's the why? And I try to remind myself that. So every morning I remember exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing because I know where I'm trying to go. What is your go-to pump-up song? Oh, this is not a song I listen to very often, but I do want to get pumped up. Uh, there's a Bon Jovi song. What's it called? Like, It's My Life or something, which I'm not a Bon Jovi fan in general, but I find yeah. it's on the podcast. And I put it on when no one's around when I'm in the car. And I'm just nice. like, it's my life. Yeah, I'm totally. <laughs> yeah, we all got those those amp songs that are that are like the car ones when you're by yourself. Yeah, for sure. Only when I'm by myself. What is something that you are not very good at? A lot of things. Time management is not a strength of mine and organization. So I actually recently have began to hire people to help do those things for me. Like, for instance, even remembering to be here at this time to do this podcast, that is something that I struggle with. So I, I now have a giant whiteboard and on the right-hand column, I write down all the meetings and things because I found that like, I've tried to use all these apps and things like that, but yeah. I always ignore the notification and I never care. And it's just like, yeah, 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 get out of here. I end up forgetting. I need to <laughs> stare at something physical. I'm <laughs> me. And then besides that, I have began to kind of outsource so that I have other people now that can kind of manage a lot of these things for me and help me out because yeah, definitely time management organization, not what Riley Dane was born to do. Awesome, man. And as we get everything wrapped up here, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? Yeah, definitely. Instagram is probably my favorite social media platform. I'm just at Riley Dane. So R-I-L-E-Y-D-A-Y-N-E. Also Facebook. I know that's so old school, but you know, for any of y'all that still hang out on the Facebooks, um, <laughs> you can find me there. I think I'm close to max on the friends list. But if any of you guys come through, shoot me a message. Um, let me know that you heard me on the podcast. I'll accept your friend request. And then, yeah, then I would say if you, if you check out uh, age of the entrepreneur.movie, um, that's where you can see the film and that's where you can probably learn the most about me and uh, get some cool knowledge bombs from some really cool people. Love it, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show today, brother. If you are listening to this right now, be sure to go check out at Riley Dane on Instagram. Uh, shoot him a quick DM. Actually, you know, if you're listening to this right now, go ahead and screenshot this episode, upload it to your Instagram story, tag at Riley Dane, tag at Travis Chapel. That way you can go over there, say what's up, say thanks for tuning into the episode. And then make sure you go check out this film. Riley does not do things halfway. So if you are looking to get some tremendous value from literally the world's top top entrepreneurs, then uh, you're definitely going to want to head over to ageoftheentrepreneur.movie to check this thing out. Riley, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. I had a fantastic time chatting. Yeah, me too, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to 
buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will over deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.